Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. Today I'm joined by NYU scholar, blogger, and press critic Jay Rosen. Jay writes and edits the popular blog PressThink, where he blogs about the fate of the press in a digital era and the challenges involved in rethinking what journalism t- is today, a subject about which Jay has been involved, a leader, a thought leader, an innovator in any number of ways we've been colleagues uh, uh, for many years. In fact, our relationship goes back even to the 80s when we worked together on a magazine about the media called Channel, and Jay did brilliant work even then. As we discussed in our last podcast, the media coverage that drives national debates is riddled with misinformation. It's a confusing election, and hopefully in this conversation, Jay and I will sort through it. Welcome, Jay. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. Um, hope we'll have you again and even in a roundtable discussion soon in this format. Um, this is um, the third month of our podcast, and we think we're covering some interesting ground and with a growing audience. So thank you for being today's guest. Uh, Let's do it. Um, so, Jay, you have a very unique take, I think, on what has been a very much a media-driven or at least a media-created election cycle. It's an early cycle that began well ahead of when people thought it would, and the role of the media and the press has been critical in it in many, um, in any number of ways. And you've summed up a lot of that debate in a post on your blog just this week, and I'd like to get right to that. Help us uh, sort through the conclusions of that post, Jay. What, what, what do you make of where we are in terms of holding politicians' feet to the fire in a world where at least the leading Republican candidate has been caught in a sequence of lies? Well, what struck me uh, is a certain phrase that uh, has now become almost a cliché for journalists and pundits as they puzzle over Donald Trump's rise. And the cliché is that the laws of political gravity have somehow vanished or been suspended in the case of Trump. And I wanted to penetrate into that and figure out what was going on there. And what I concluded was that these so-called laws were never really laws. They were conventions among journalists, handlers, candidates, politicians, the sort of people who appear on Meet the Press, who um, kind of agreed that certain statements were out of bounds and that you could stretch the truth, but you couldn't snap it or break it in, in this way and, and that, while other kinds of deceptions were perfectly fine, like tax cuts lead to more revenues. Um, and what Trump has done is, is just broken all those conventions, and he doesn't care about those uh, uh, unstated agreements. And because a lot of journalists actually convinced themselves that there were such laws, they're kind of shocked by all this. So that's what I would try to explain in my post. 
And what do you conclude about the press's handling of this set of issues in this cycle versus others? It's my view, and I expressed it uh, in a in a note to you uh, on uh, Facebook or on your on your blog that really the press's behavior is rather status quo, reluctant to call things in as direct a way as we might hope, and that the horse race chase basically goes on as it has for way too long. I think you have a slightly different view. Well, I agree with all that. Um, uh, But the bad habits that the press drifted into, which include horse race coverage and a focus on who's going to win and a kind of deferral of um, truth as a, as a, uh, as a, as a standard, um, go back so many cycles uh, and have become such normal ways of operating that I think it's very hard for at least the mainstream political press or the people who've been doing this for a long time in Washington to even see the system that they're caught up in. And so bad habits like false balance and the insider-type coverage and the uh, savvy class of analysts and pundits who kind of rub shoulders with the strategists and uh, campaign professionals, those things are so deep by now. They're, they've gone on for so long. The people who specialize in them have been rewarded so well. For example, Mark Halpern of Bloomberg getting a million-dollar contract to take his show to another site. Um, It's just very difficult at this point for the people who um, recycle this pattern every four years to not only change it, but even to perceive it. But in previous election cycles, the public has um, engaged in a level of accountability that exists in a different uh, realm today. So Howard Dean screams, Ed Muskie cries, Joe Biden uh, lifts a speech text or a candidate X misstates uh, his or her resume in some fashion. That standard, that very limited standard, imagine, I mean, a candidate screaming, getting him in trouble in a presidential campaign, that's not that long ago. We're operating, at least in terms of the way we think the public perceives us, in an entirely different way, aren't we? Yes, but um, I don't think it's... uh accurate or insightful to say that voters didn't stand for this and now they do. I think the intervening factor there is that a lot of that behavior, like say Muskie withdrawing or the party prevailing on a candidate to drop out, um, was dependent on assumptions that voters would react a certain way. Uh, And a lot of the people involved in that system kind of accepted the the rules because they thought they knew how voters react. Well, we've had a lot of chances to test that. And finally, in 2016, um, all of those people who agreed to those unwritten rules now don't think voters will react to untruths and gaffes and blatant statements that are factually incorrect. Nobody has that belief anymore, especially uh, Trump. And so that system is breaking down. It's breaking down not because 
it really knew uh, what Americans thought, but because everybody had the same assumptions. It was a world of shared assumptions. And um, in some ways, Merrill, the quadrennial presidential election is sort of like the Christmas lights that people have in their attics, and they bring them down every year, and they plug them in, and they work exactly the way that they did the previous year. And to some degree, the producers and editors and reporters who do political coverage treat campaign journals in the same way. They take it out every four years. They get the machine rolling. They don't really ask how to change the model. And because of that predictability, the operators uh, have been able to kind of empty out that system while it still, in a formal sense, stands. And I think that's where we've ended up. You cite as an example of somebody doing something different a rather obvious but important example, and that's Jorge Ramos of Univision, who's made a cause out of um, doing lots of issue commentary and pieces about immigration matters and what he perceives to be the unfairness of at least uh, certainly the Trump position about moving out immigrants en masse and even uh, more subtle positions than that. Um, is Ramos a an admirable model that you'd like to see others uh, recreate in other ways, although hopefully about well, other what's issues? effective about Ramos is that um, he knows which public he's trying to inform. It's the Latino Americans to whom Univision in the U.S. and Fusion, their English language brand, speak. And because he actually has a community, he's trying to be both journalist and loyal to, he can pitch his questions and take stands that he knows resonate with his community. And therefore, he's not vulnerable to what I've called the view from nowhere. He isn't defaulting to insider coverage or horse race journalism because he actually has something that he wants to protect, which is the trust that he's earned with that community by sticking up for their interests. And so that's a way to adjust campaign coverage that actually seems to work for him. It doesn't mean that everybody should become um, like Jorge Ramos, but it's it's that attachment to a specific public and the willingness to fight for that public that make him different. One of the one of the things I assume, I don't know this, but I assume it to be the case that you have called for and others like you and I have called for in the past is more of an effort on fact-checking. This concern goes back many, many years, and just about everybody has is treating fact-checking with Pinocchio noses and number of stars and so on and so forth in some fashion they didn't use to 20 years ago. Is this a step in the right direction? And what are the next steps like that that would provide the kind of accountability I think you're looking for? Well, it it was a step in the right direction when it started. Um, I remember, you may remember this, back in the 90s when uh, newspapers first started to do what they called ad watches, where they actually wrote about political advertisements and assessed them. Um, the original ad watches didn't 
really bother too much with whether the ads were accurate. They had, uh, I remember the New York Times ad watch had as its concluding section uh, something they called a scorecard. And the scorecard uh, had nothing to do with truthfulness. It was the reporter's chance to uh, um, speculate on how effective and clever and savvy this ad was. Uh, over time, the ad watch evolved a little bit, and they added some accuracy uh, to the assessment before they got to the fun part, which is the scorecard. And then that evolved into fact-checking, where um, journalists take a much more uh, direct approach and say, this is true, that's a lie, this is half true. Um, and uh, into the 2012 campaign, we saw the first moves to completely override the fact-checkers. And there was a, a pretty well-known incident where the Romney campaign said, we're not going to let our campaign be dictated to by fact-checkers, um, which really meant we're going to ignore uh, what, you, what you say. Um, but even that wasn't anywhere close to what Trump did. Let's remember the 47% tape. Um, and in that incident, the Romney campaign said, well, he didn't really mean what you think. Um, and it, it really wasn't the way you're framing it, and they, they sort of tried to backtrack knowing or assuming that this was dangerous. What Donald Trump today would do would say, uh, I never said that, <laughs> or it didn't happen, or you're crazy, or, or they would just, just, just power ahead. Um, and so it's, it's kind of at the point where fact-checking is too little too late. So, so what next? We're beyond that. Nobody knows. We're running a vast, uncontrolled experiment in democracy where the whole idea of a common world of fact around which political opinions can differ has been upended, and we essentially live in different factual universes. Uh, and nobody has any idea what kind of democracy that leads to. Uh, and so we're struggling week by week to find out. I hope you'll keep writing about this, maybe not week by week, but often enough so that you're an important check on all this. Um, the current piece in uh, Press Think merits our uh, time and attention. Thank you for writing it and assembling it from lots of other really interesting minds, Jay. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it and hope you'll come back, and I hope to see you soon personally. Thanks, Meryl. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown, and thanks for listening.